Welcome to Green Bites, Sustainable Asia's weekly environmental news podcast. I'm Koa Tran. And I'm Avery Choi. In less than 10 minutes, we offer you bite-sized green updates in Asia we think you should know about. Hey Koa, have you been checking the weather forecast lately? Hong Kong's summers seem to be getting hotter and hotter. Yes, and winters are likely to become shorter and shorter in the future. A report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, published last week, said that a hotter future is inevitable. Global warming is going to intensify, so extreme weather events could become more frequent and serious. We've been mentioning many such extreme weather events in almost every episode. And just to add to that list, this year, developed countries have also been hit hard. In Asia, cold waves, including unusually heavy snowfalls, claimed the lives of 13 people in Japan and caused injuries to almost 250 others. Not to mention floods that have devastated Indonesia and China's Henan province. Just about every part of the world is affected, and some more than others. Some scientists say that global warming is just a natural phenomenon, similar to the transition from the last ice age to now. Global temperature going up 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels doesn't seem that dramatic. So why does the UN claim that this spells big trouble for us? How serious will it be? Actually, global warming is a natural phenomenon. The temperatures will indeed increase steadily through the years. However, the current rate at which temperature increases is faster than it should be due to human activities, specifically those releasing greenhouse gases. The report stated that the last decade was the hottest in 125,000 years. The world's glaciers are melting and receding at a rate, quote, unprecedented in the last 2,000 years. Atmospheric levels of carbon dioxide have not been this high in at least 2 million years. The report also stated that if the global average temperature rises 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels, nearly 1 billion people worldwide could swelter in more frequent, life-threatening heatwaves. Hundreds of millions more could struggle for water because of severe droughts. Animals and plants alive on land today could also be gone. Coral reefs, which sustain fisheries for large swaths of the globe, would suffer more frequent mass die-offs. An increase of only 1.5 degrees could create such an impact on us and the ecosystem. Hard to imagine how the world we know today would be if global temperatures go up even more. Yeah, we're all responsible for global warming, and there's no exception. Asian countries are among the top 10 biggest emitters of greenhouse gases. They include China, India, Russia, Japan and Indonesia. Let's hope that China's pledge to become carbon neutral by 2060 is not a rubber check. So the IPCC's report was an important call to climate action from scientists to policymakers. But some other scientists have also made advances on their own. A study published in the journal Nature Climate Change looks at the impacts of climate change on crop production as well as estimates the risks from temperature-dependent pathogens. 
Yes, so scientists from this study have tried to track projected yield changes in 12 crops since the early 2000s. They found that as the climate changes, suitable conditions for pests outbreak shift in time and place. This changes the kinds of threats farmers face and the management regimes required to handle pests. According to the study, crop yield tend to increase in higher latitudes, although this couples with a higher risk of temperature-dependent infections from pathogens. On the contrary, the tropics areas are expected to see little or no productivity gains, but may benefit from a lower risk of catching crop diseases as the temperature will kill the crop pathogens. Some Asian countries have already suffered famines over the years. Once plant pests proliferate and disease outbreaks occur, they will be hit even harder. Scientists urge farmers in lower latitude areas to start planning and get equipped for changes brought about by climate change, like focusing on crops with high temperature tolerance. Their counterparts in the north are advised to view the study as an early warning and take timely action to adapt to new changes. Hey Avery, so I've been reading about urban design this week. Wouldn't it be great if we could just plant more trees in the city to absorb the pollution and improve our air quality? Well, yes, of course it would be, but I see a lot of challenges with that, considering everything in Hong Kong is made out of concrete. Well, yeah, it's a real puzzle, or so I thought before I came across some articles on the Miyawaki technique. Oh, you're talking about the late Japanese botanist, Akira Miyawaki of the 1980s. Heard that name, but I don't know much about this technique. Well, the Miyawaki technique involves compressing layers of a forest, including shrubs, trees, and canopies, into small plots of land. The goal is to turn these into tiny forests in urban areas. The technique requires planting two to four trees per square meter a lot closer to each other than usual. These Miyawaki urban forests can begin to self-sustain after two to three years. They can help lower temperatures in concrete jungles, reduce air and noise pollution, attract local species, and create carbon sinks. Hey, that's what we need in Hong Kong. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of big cities have been using this technique to manage air pollution in their own way. Apparently, Pakistan is building what officials say is the largest urban Miyawaki forest in the world in its second largest city, Lahore. It covers 12.5 acres and has over 165,000 plants, which are expected to grow 10 times faster than normal with the technique we talked about. Speed might be just what Pakistan needs right now, as Lahore's 10 million residents are grappling with smog in recent years, making it one of the globe's most polluted cities. It has been so serious that schools have been forced to shut down. Top pollutants in Lahore stem from cars, followed by stubble burning, steel manufacturing, and brick kill. To people living in the city, coughing, throat infection, and irritation in the eyes are part of their daily lives. Prime Minister Imran Khan inaugurated the project last week, which is part of the South Asian nation's massive drive to plant 10 billion trees. The campaign started in 2018, and Pakistan has so far planted a billion more trees and is currently planting another 500 million during the monsoon period. Koa, do you remember in the pilot season of Green Bites, Bonnie and Shemin covered Singapore's new mega-floating solar farm in the last episode? Of course! 
One of the world's biggest floating solar panel farms, as big as 45 football fields, and can generate as much as 60 megawatts. It could help reduce carbon emissions by about 32 kilotons, equivalent to taking 7,000 cars off the roads. Pretty impressive project. Well, Singapore's neighbor, Indonesia, is also about to start building a similar floating solar power project, the Serata Floating Photovoltaic Power Plant. The project is expected to generate 145 megawatt. After securing funding from a state firm and a company from the United Arab Emirates, construction is now underway. It's interesting to point out that the state utility that finances this project operates coal-fired power plants that support 60% of the entire country's energy demand. The project's commercial operation is set to begin in November next year. The Serata plant is part of the country's move to up its green power in the energy mix, as it aims to source about one-fourth of its electricity from renewable sources by 2025 and reach zero emissions by 2060. With over 370 lakes and reservoirs, Indonesia is using its natural resources to help set up more floating solar plants and generate an additional 28 gigawatt of power. Indonesia has indeed been on the go. In July this year, Singapore Sunseep Group announced its plan to build the world's largest floating solar farm and energy storage system in Indonesia's Batam that will have a capacity of 2.2 gigawatts spanning around 1,600 hectares. The farm's energy will be partly consumed by Batam and partly exported to Singapore via a subsea cable. So this is all we have for this week's Green Bites. If you have any new stories you think we should highlight, let us know on our social media platforms using the hashtag ShareYourBite. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channels for more content and share our podcast with your friends and family. If you're interested in sponsoring Green Bites or any comments about our content, we would love to hear from you. Email us using communications at sustainableasia.co or drop us a line on social media. Our handle is at sustainableasia. Thank you for listening. <laughs>